In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Some of you have noticed the great addition of the three wise men over in the niche. Um, I'm surprised they fit. They, they, they look cozy, but they're there. Um, I think the shepherds had to go back to work. So that's how there's room for the three wise men. But that's, that's, that is how it plays out in the, um, in the Gospels. The shepherds were there, and then they went back. And then some time elapsed. How much time elapsed? That's a good question. That's usually what I preach on on Epiphany, to encourage you to reread the Gospels with a fresh set of eyes. Because the, the wise men, the Magi, say that they saw a star that indicated, them, indicated to them that a savior had, that a king had been born. So they're noticing the star they describe as corresponding to their being notified by the heavens that the birth has occurred. So they haven't even begun their journey before Christmas Day, before the Lord is born. If their journey took months, which is uh, the generally held opinion, then more than likely your whole scenario, your time frame has to be adjusted. If we were to think that the, he was a, a brand newborn baby, days old or weeks old, doesn't correspond to what the Gospels tell us. Turns out when we look at the instructions that Herod gave for the children to be killed, this probably was a year later, at least. Especially when you try to read the Gospel of Matthew and the Gospel of Luke side by side, which we should always do. We should always read all four Gospels as simple historical narrative, because they are. That's the teaching of the church. And to see how their, their, uh, uh, the details provided by the different Gospels shed light on how an event happened or how a particular homily probably happened several times or a particular miracle happened several different times in different ways. In this case, there was only one birth and only one visit by the Magi and St. Luke tells us that they went back to Nazareth immediately. St. Luke also tells us that the Holy Family visited Jerusalem every year. So without insisting you agree with me, I do insist that you reread the Gospels and insist that they make sense and ask questions and question your own. visualization of how it all happened. But that's not what I want to preach on today. I've been reading a lot about and listening to a lot about the star. There's a, a, something material about what's happening at this feast that we usually forget. I usually forget. The star isn't even, to me, the most important feature of the nativity scene. But it, but it is necessary for this feast day to even happen. 
It's fascinating, actually, to read and learn about the different theories, uh, the different astronomical explanations that have been put forward, whether it be a comet or whether it be Jupiter uh, traveling up into the sky and looping around Regulus and then coming down towards the horizon, or an angel. I, I certainly have no dog in this fight, but except to reiterate that if the gospel said it, that means it's true. So something happened. They saw something. And it's beautiful to see how um, how the heavens, how nature, how creation uh, gives praise and glory to God. The, the word of God, especially the Old Testament, bears that out. Our prayer life reveals that when we pray the Psalms, when we pray the canticle of David, especially, or of Daniel, it's, it, it all comes across. But that's not what I want to preach about. There is something practical here that's worth noting for no other reason. Uh, the, the gospel isn't just a, a moral finger wag and homilies shouldn't just be a reminder to behave, but there is something remarkable about how the, the, the three wise men, how the Magi create an extraordinarily complicated problem without intending to. They are innocent. They didn't intend to get our Lord into trouble. They didn't intend to uh, create a a situation in which he was going to be killed. They were innocent of this. Their reaction is worth meditating upon a little bit because our reaction probably would be very different. Because when most of us are innocent of something, we want to insist on our innocence. And we also want to insist that we ought not be inconvenienced by the, create, by the problem we created innocently, even though it's created problems for other people. Because we're innocent, we don't want to be inconvenienced by it. That's almost universal. So consider that when, when, when we find ourselves, it is inevitable, whether it be you're, you're on the road and innocently you didn't know that the lane was about to end, or when you are um, uh, paying your bills or taking care of things at home or in the neighborhood, or when you are interacting with others and don't know that you've insulted someone because you didn't know that something happened in their, uh, in their life, in their family. There, there's any number of ways in which we innocently cause harm to people. We cause trouble. We cause inconvenience. When the Magi realized how they were innocently about to cause the death of the king that they had come to worship, 
their grand entrance, seeking out the ruler of this realm, announcing their arrival and asking for indications about where he is to be found, turned into a rescue mission. They escaped quietly. so as not to bring any attention as to where he is exactly, when he might have left, or when he might be leaving. Makes me think of mom and dad when we're visiting our grandparents as kids growing up. Remember, none of our relatives were Catholic. Both my parents were converts. We... We got up at some, uh, I don't want to say ungodly, because that's not a, bad, a good description of anything, but we got up at an inhuman hour <laughs> to go to Mass on Sunday morning to be able to be back for our grandmother's breakfast, because we were not going to inconvenience her by our religious observance. But not going to Mass was not an option. I don't want to preach about that either. So there's the, the scriptural point and the material point and the, the moral point. The prayers of the church should give us guidance whenever we are celebrating an event. And the opening prayer made reference to how we, who acknowledge Christ by faith, we ask God to help us, to give us the grace to be drawn into his sublime glory. How, how, it easy, how easy it is for us to pat ourselves on the back already that we, we acknowledge him and we believe in him, we love him. We have come to worship him, right? We have come to worship with the wise men, with the three magi. We are with them. And who knows, are they, were there more than three, less than three? There were three gifts that we know. We, it's easy for us to, we're the ones who are here, right? We're the survivors. It's easy for us to congratulate ourselves. But the prayer of the church puts a desire on our lips. It acknowledges, yes, we, we acknowledge Christ by faith. But Lord, we have, we have to admit, we don't, we don't behold your, the, the entire sublimity of your glory. Our eyes are, are crusted over. Our hearts are, are, are numb. We're protecting them. We're, we're scared or we're, um, we're uninterested. The, the glory of the Holy Trinity is what God has come to bring us into. He hasn't come just to teach us the truth and hasn't come just to make us behave. He has come to draw us into the complete life of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The, the Magi came to behold a king, and the one they found is God. Many of us have come in search of a, a great encourager, uh, a provider of mercy, uh, 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 one who will come to protect us or 
or console us. And he wants to make us like God's. To be drawn into the, to the eternal love and power and glory and majesty and humility and poverty and simplicity of the life of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.